And um, it was called Together for the Gospel. And uh, they preached at us for about two and a half days, which is the best kind of conference. And it was a time of refreshment, but also a time of equipping. This conference in particular uh, gives away free books, which is like candy to pastors. And so... Uh, but they want to give books uh, that equip ministry. Uh, this organization only exists to do pastors' conferences and only to encourage and equip pastors. They don't want anything else. And so uh, it's a, it was really a great conference. They will be posting uh, the plenary sessions, and we'll get that link as soon as I have it. We'll send that out so you can uh, see the messages or hear the messages uh, that Darcy and I heard I want to point out two books in particular uh, that, I, that they gave to us, uh, that they commended to us for ministry. Uh, the first one is by a Brit named Sam Alberry, and it's called, Is God Anti-Gay? And Other Questions About Homosexuality, the Bible, and Same-Sex Attraction. And if you have questions about what does the Bible say about homosexuality, what does the Bible say about sex and marriage? Uh, it's very short, uh, very small as you can see. I'd encourage you to pick that up. And there's even a, uh, a topic or a, a chapter called, What Should I Do If a Christian Comes Out to Me? Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced a family member coming out to you and you just don't know what to do. I commend this book to you. The other book that they gave us that I wanted to highlight this morning is called The Gospel at Work. How Working for King Jesus Gives Purpose and Meaning to Our Jobs. So if you're out, especially if you're out in the corporate world or you work for yourself, uh, I commend this book to you by uh, Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. So that's The Gospel at Work and how the gospel changes how you do your job and how it should change how you do your job. So again, I commend those two books to you if you are interested uh, and missed uh, one of the titles. Come up and see me later. We'll probably also put a link somewhere on the sermon page. Let's, uh, let's turn to Psalm 119 this morning. I hope you're thankful for the two weeks off that you got. <laughs> It's a little breather. It's, you know, the, as you're working through the marathon that is the chapter Psalm 119, uh, you got your water break as you're running by. And, uh, well, you'll get another one next week because we're going to talk about Easter next week. So you're welcome. But, but this stanza in particular, it's on page 513 if you're following along in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. This is a great stanza for reading your Bible because good is the main idea. Because good, the word good is repeated five out of eight times. Okay, so if we, were, if we were reading along, the first word of every verse except verses 67, 69, and 70 are all good, good, good. So this is one of those times that your Bible is helpful to you. 
in that it just keeps hitting you over the head with the main idea. And when in doubt, just start counting good. And this morning, we're going to see what is really good. And we're going to see that God is our good teacher. And we're going to see the fact that we need a teacher. We need someone to teach us who to be and who not to be. And God is that good teacher. But underlying all of this, and this is number one in your outline there, is God is good to us. Look at verse 65. You have dealt well or dealt good with your... I just was just in Louisville, so... You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. That this is going to undergird this entire stanza. That God is good to us. That God is a good God who wants good things for his people. Too often we think of God as the cosmic buzzkill who just wants to give us a lot of rules and to ruin our fun and tells us to give our money away. But God is good, and he is good to us. He is grateful for every good thing that God has. And he knows he doesn't deserve it. Look at the first part of the verse. You have dealt well with your servant. What is he doing there? He is putting himself, he's acknowledging his place before the God of the universe. He is no equal to God. God is not our buddy who helps us out, but next time we'll get the check. He is but God's servant, and God doesn't owe him anything, and God is still good to him. And we are the same way. We are but God's servants. God doesn't owe us anything. We don't deserve any goodness. But God is good to us. Even when we don't see it. We're going to come to that in a little bit. Hold on, hold on. But you just, you just need to know that, that God is good to you. And that refrain needs to be in your mind every day. Every day you wake up, it's because God is good. Every breath that you have is because God is good. Every good thing in your life is because God is good to you. And again, it's not according to how great we are. But look at the second part of the verse. According to your word. He has promised to be good to us. And he keeps his promises. And he'll keep it today. And he'll keep it tomorrow. He'll keep it 10 years from now. And he'll keep it forever. God is good.
So a question you need to ask yourself, and this is a great spiritual exercise, is, is to think about how has God been good to me? Too often we forget. We have amnesia of God's goodness, but we need to be thinking, and, th- and this is in the small groups, questions, okay, everybody get ready for that. But how has been God good to me today, this month, this year? We need to rehearse God's goodness to us, or we will forget. Psalm seventy-one, fifteen. this is a wonderful verse, it says this, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. God is so good to us, we can't keep track. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that truth, of that's how good God is to us, that if we were to count, we'd run out of numbers, or we'd run out of time in counting. But we need to be doing this because, because when we don't, when we forget to rehearse how good God has been to us, that's when we get cranky. That's when we get grabby. That's when we get that insatiable thirst that everything we have is never enough. And we get controlled by our desires and our passions and what I want. We get that way when we forget how much God has in fact given to us. Let me call you to something bigger and better, friends. Let me call you to remembering how good God has been to each and every one of us. And we'll be gracious and grateful people. It'll build humility in us. We won't need to grab for power or grab for things. We'll be content with such things as we have. We need to live our lives motivated and directed by our understanding of how good God has been to us. Specifically, one of the ways that God is good to us in this chapter is that God is our good teacher. Number two on your outline there. So not only is just there this very generic, very basic idea that God is good, but, but there's this idea that God is our good teacher. But how is God our good teacher? First, we see that God teaches us through his word. Look at verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed in your commandments. Hop down to verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 
again, as we study Psalm 119, the whole thing is about God's word and all the different things that God does through his word. And specifically in these two verses, and in this stanza as a whole, we see that God teaches us using his word. Now, I want you to think about this. If you need to be taught, it's true that you don't know something. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to be taught, right? So there's an assumption here that we need God's teaching. Let me further suggest that there's an assumption here that oftentimes we are wrong and need changing. Now, don't forget that aspect of God's word. That it is our teacher, that God uses it to teach us. But we have to be real with ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves that if we need to be taught, that means we either don't know or we know the wrong thing. We need to see that one of the reasons God gives us his gift of the Bible is to change us and to teach us about himself, to give us new knowledge about our relationship with him, about who we are as sinners saved by grace. Two specific things I want us to see about this teaching. One is that God teaches us wisdom through his word. If, if God is this good teacher who teaches us what we need to know, one of the things we need to know is wisdom. Look at the beginning of verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Again, what's the assumption? He doesn't have it. What's the assumption we need to make? We don't always have it. Guess what always has it? God's word. But part of his prayer here is he sees his need for wisdom. He sees his need for understanding. And he says, God, you graciously give that to me through your word. How often do you pray that God would teach you wisdom through his word? Again, as Psalm 119 is a psalm, it's a poem, it's a song, we've also seen that it's a prayer. And in understanding this psalm, we need to see how we can deepen and enhance our prayer lives. And again, thinking, what does God want me to be praying for? And one of the things that God wants you to pray for, for yourself and for your brothers and sisters in Christ, is wisdom. Good judgment. Making good decisions. And that, and that we find the answer to those questions in God's word. 
That when you're faced with a huge decision, do you go to God's word? Do you care what God's word has to say on a particular topic or issue? And we need to pray, God, teach me through your word to decide the way you would decide, to be wise in the way that you are infinitely wise, because I don't know. Make me wise according to your word. But I also want us to see that God's teaching is priceless. Look at verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This is a tough one. I want us to think about this, that, that God's word is worth more to us than money. I want you to think about this. Let's say, let's say I had a thousand bucks and I buried it at the bottom of the hill. And I said, on your mark, get set, go. We'd be running. Because that's a lot of money. That's worth a lot. But the psalmist is saying, your word is worth more than any amount of money. And, and this, this needs to humble us so much. Do we value God's word that way? Or do we just take it as a bunch of stories written by dead people? Or do we really see the infinite worth in that these are the words of God to his people? Does how you spend your time in God's word reflect the worth of God's word? We've talked about that throughout this this whole time in Psalm 119. Is the only time you open up your Bible on Sunday morning? Are, Are we spending time in God's word? If it's really as worthwhile as it seems to think it is. If God's word says, I am worth more than gobs and gobs of money, does our life reflect that? And what's one step I can take? What's, what's that one step? One step we've talked about throughout this sermon series is, is to read the next stanza before next Sunday. I'm not calling you to read the whole thing every week. <laughs> Besides, it, you can't, I mean, it, it takes about eight days to go, if you're going really fast. Let's just be honest about that. That's the fastest I've ever read it was eight days. And that was when I, w- I didn't have a job. So, but what's one step that you can take to to change your life to match the worth of God's word. Because that's what we're called to do here, that, that when we read God's word and we say, you know what, I fall short, 
I fall short of what gloriousness the Bible is calling me to. But what's one thing I can change this week? What's one step closer to Jesus I can take? And that's why we're together. That's why we read this word, because when we're confronted with it, we're called to change, to be more like Jesus. And it's time to make that next step. Now, God not only teaches us through his word, but God also teaches us through his example. Look at verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So this, so I want you to think about this. Five out of eight verses have good in it. And then this one has two goods in it. It might be an important verse. I'm just going to throw that out there. You can tell me later that it's not. But what's it saying? Look at it again. You are good and do good. So we have this idea good. But what if we're like, I have no idea what that means. What if I don't know how to do good? What if I don't know what it looks like to be good in my life? What do you do if if you want to do what God wants, but you have no idea where to start? This verse tells us to look at God. If you want to know what good is, God will show you. Because he is good, and he does good. He does good things. Some of you are going to get me on that later. But... But God has not only given us his word, but he's also given himself as an example. But but where do we see that? Where do we see the goodness of God being modeled for us? Where do we see God doing good in, in human experience? How do I follow God's example? of being good and doing good. And the answer to that is in the life of Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So you want to know what God looks like and what God does? Look at Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. You want to know what a good life looks like? You want to know what good deeds look like? You look at the life of Jesus. Maybe this is why there are four gospel accounts. Have you ever wondered, why not just one? But with four, we get four times the examples of how God wants us to live. Four times the stories about Jesus. 
I think with that many stories, it, it gives us a humility to this because there's no way you can memorize all of them. <laughs> and you never get this feeling of, oh, I've heard that one before. We need to look at Jesus and the example he set. You know, there, there was, there was that, that Christian fad years and years ago now. It was good intention, but it was a little simple. But, you know, what would Jesus do? Right? And you had the little bracelets for it. Okay. Good intention, right idea for the most part, except the whole branding on stuff and anything. But, but what a wonderful question. What would Jesus do in this situation? I, I want to do good to my neighbor. I want to do good to my family. How, how would Jesus treat them? We're not just left rules and commands. We're left also the example of Jesus Christ himself to follow and to emulate. But... this psalm also tells us that there are those who refuse to be taught. In in setting up this idea that God is our good teacher and wants our good and is teaching us for our good, the psalmist says, there are those of you who refuse to be taught. Look at verses 69 to 70. The insolent or the arrogant, the rebellious, smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. These insolent, these arrogant, rebellious people who reject God They refuse to be taught. In fact, they they smear the psalmist with lies. They not only mock God by rejecting him, but they mock those who would follow God. They, They won't learn. They think they know better than God. But they show, but they show their hearts when they reject God. Look at verse 70. Their heart is unfeeling like fat. What a lovely description. Wouldn't you love that to be a description of you? Man, you are are unfeeling like fat. It's showing how foolish they are to reject God's teaching. That they are rejecting God's words, that they are rejecting life by rejecting being taught. God's word just bounces off the fat that's around their heart. What a lovely metaphor. Nothing can change them Nothing can make them feel anything. Their hearts are cold like stone. (laughs) 
And notice, in those two verses, there is no good. Those are two of the verses where the word good is not used. And so what the author is telling us is that when we reject God, when we reject his life-giving word, there is no good to be found. There is no good apart from God. And to reject him is to reject his goodness, is to reject him being good to us. It's to run away and there is no good. There's not some other goodness out there that we can run away from God and find magically. To reject God is to reject the goodness that he offers. Lastly, I want us to see that for, for those of us who are willing to be taught that again, God teaches us through his word, God teaches us through the model of Jesus Christ, And God also teaches us through our experiences. And these are some of the harder verses, so let's let's focus on them real quick. Look at verse 67. Again, this is is the other verse. This is the one of three. This is the third verse that does not have the word good in it. Okay? Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. The psalmist is again crying out from a place of pain. He's remembering a painful time. A time when it was not good. And maybe some of you are there right now where there is no, there just, it just feels like there is no goodness around you. Maybe it feels like God isn't even good to you right now. that you are swallowed up in the pain of your circumstances, that you are overcome by despair and sadness and affliction. And it doesn't feel like there is anything good in your life. That's where the psalmist is coming from. Do you see see how God's word can give words to our experiences? That, That in that place of pain, God's word echoes that pain. God's word never pretends that pain and affliction and sadness never happen. And never say that it does. But he's remembering this time. He's saying, he's saying, I was afflicted and I ran away from God. Because the pain was just so much. But hop down to verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. 
that God can take the pain, God can take the affliction you're experiencing, God can take the sadness and use it to teach you. He can use even pain for your good. I want you to see the awesome sovereignty of God in this. That God can take the worst circumstances in your life and use even them for your good. And here's the idea. If he can use the worst times, don't you think he can use the best times? Again, we've seen this in the Bible before. If I can lift 50 pounds, I can lift 10 pounds, right? If God can use the worst times in your life, even those for your good, how much more will he use the good times? And friends, in the pain, in the sadness, don't run away from your teacher. Because if you run away from your teacher, you'll never learn. And again, we've talked about, as we've talked about suffering, that sometimes we suffer because of bad decisions, right? We've talked about that. Sometimes we sin and there's a negative consequence and God uses that negative consequence to call us to repentance and reconciliation with him, right? Other times, we suffer because people are sinning against us. And God can even use that. God can teach us about himself. God can teach us about our trust in him. And God can teach us that he is our, he is our only Savior, and no one else, no matter how great, can save us. He can teach us to rely on him. But we can't have that fat heart. In, in the worst of times, we have to be praying, God, what are you trying to teach me through these circumstances? I, I don't know how you are using this for my good and your glory, but I trust that you are. And sometimes that means repenting. And sometimes it means waiting, trusting in God, trusting in, in the comfort that he promises But we never learn those things if we run away. Friends, friends, those are the times when we need to run faster to him. When, when we are being afflicted, when we are in pain and sadness, we run to a sovereign God who loves us, 
who sent his son to die for us. I mean, you think about the crucifixion. We're in Holy Week, right? You think about the crucifixion. God took the affliction that was put on Jesus and brought about our salvation. So again, we can look at the model of Jesus. Verse 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good that Jesus died because through his death we could be saved. And if God can work that for our good, he can do it with any circumstance. Friends, this morning I want us to see that God is our good teacher and we need to be eager students. And then and, and, and there's a call not to reject God's teaching. Again, we need to be confronted with the idea that's in this word that we need to be taught that sometimes we are wrong sometimes we need to change but God has given us his word God has given us the model of Jesus Christ God has given us our experiences to teach us where we need to change and so we don't need to fear but we need to embrace it because God is good and any teaching he gives us is not just so he can show you're wrong but it's for our good. We need to embrace God teaching us this morning. So what does that mean? Let me, let me suggest three prayers that this text evokes from us this morning. One, I want you to pray that God would soften your heart to be open to learning and changing according to God's word. Let me say that one more time. Pray that God would soften your heart to be open to learning and changing according to God's word. Secondly, pray that God, pray that you would see God's word as more precious than riches. That you would see it for what it really is. Let me say that one more time. Pray that you would see God's word as more precious than riches. And lastly, pray that God would teach you his ways so that you can follow after Jesus. Again, Jesus, the model of godliness and through his death and resurrection gave us new life to live to God's glory, which is to follow our good teacher. That we would be praying that as a congregation. That we would be praying that as individuals within the congregation. And that God...
would change us and teach us to be more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, that you would soften our hearts so that we would be open to learning from you, our good teacher. God, that we would view your word not just as a bunch of fairy tales, but as your words for our good. And that we would understand just how precious this word is. And God, that through your word, through the example of Jesus, through our experiences, that you would teach us to be more like Jesus. And that we would be eager students, eager to glorify you because you have been so good to us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.